Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. Good to see everybody online. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Today is the opening for football season. Actually, it was Thursday, but uh, I just want to let you know your team's not going to win the Super Bowl, so give it up. Just let it go. Let's just, uh, let's just dig into uh, God's word instead. But, uh, and if you're a Rams fan, uh, well, you already knew that. You already knew it was going to happen. If you're a Raiders fan, um, you're the nicest people in the world. I just don't want to run into any of you off, offline. But um, I'm just playing. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Um, today, we're going to continue our series. As Pastor Steve said, it is called We the People. And in week one of We the People, we talked, uh, yes, last week, really. If you missed it, please watch it. If you didn't. Missy, you know that we talked about uh, what it means uh, to be made different by Jesus so we can make a difference. That's what we talked about. The, the, we're, we're in this series about community. We're talking about we, the people of God. And we want to talk about what it is that God desires from his people and how we can build biblical community. That means biblical connection, the relationships and the kinds of doing things together that God called us to do as our creator. And so we're, we're going to spend the entire month on this. And, uh, you know, we just got done celebrating, obviously, first responders. And it's, you know, there are just certain things that happen in our lives that we, we always, as Pastor Anthony asked, you know, where were you when, right? Where were you when? And what I want to do is this week, as we talked about Jesus wanting to make us, a, uh, make us different so that we can make a difference, this week I want to talk about how he goes about making us different. Now, sometimes we hear words like discipleship or spiritual formation or some of these things in churches. How is it that Jesus makes us different? Not so much from a theological standpoint, although that's important too, but I want to talk a little bit about the practical side of it. What is it that Jesus did? And I think the best way that we could do it is look at Jesus' earthly ministry. I think if we could see how Jesus did it while he was on the earth and and who he did that with and how he did that, that is going to unlock for us, I think, a truth that I'm hoping that you don't miss today. Let me tell you why you don't want to miss it. Because if you miss what we're going to talk about today, if you miss what it is that we're going to pull out of Jesus' ministry today, then you might be risking a faith that is filled with disillusionment, uh, possibly disappointment. You might even find yourself in a place and maybe even came in today already struggling with whether or not to abandon it completely, uh, whether or not to put it into a category with all the other religions of the world and to say, you know, man, this religion stuff is just not doing anything for me. Uh, so I guess I just got to figure it out myself. This is the risk that we play if we miss this, what might seem like simple or even subtle, or maybe like, wow, I've never really thought about it that way before, uh, this truth that we're going to see from Jesus. It's so critical uh, that I would say that literally it will impact, if you get this, it will change your faith, the way that you do church, the way that you look at re- uh, a religion, the way you look at Jesus, and it will unlock for you, I think, a path that will give you a fresh experience with God and begin to be able to put you on a path toward significance that will change not only your life, but the lives of those around you, maybe the lives of your community, the lives of people throughout this world. So that's a lot, isn't it? Yes, because Jesus is that big. But the important part is we've got to come into this 
not really thinking through a lot of things that maybe we've been holding on to when it comes to church and religion. And what we're going to find is that we're going to break up some norms that maybe have been holding some of us back. So what I want to do is we're going to go into our Bible. So if you've got a Bible or a device, uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Uh, this is going to be, a, a, we're going to just kind of parachute down into a, a time in Jesus' life that you may have even heard before. You may have been around church. You may have had someone go through this with us or with you, I mean, and you may have seen this, but I don't know if we've all caught you know, what I'm hoping we can catch. And it's something that, that God's been putting on my heart. It's been something as a staff we've been talking about. It's something as a team that we've been talking about. And some of you may have heard this from some staff members and other things. Uh, because part of this series is also explain a little bit about why Sunrise does what Sunrise does and who we are and why it is we're pushing you into things and asking you to do things. You're like, why? Why is that so important? Why should I go do X, Y, Z? We're going to explain some of that. And a lot of it hinges uh, on this principle that we're going to talk about today. So in Luke chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, everybody there? Okay, in one church, I heard this, they'd say, like, they get to their text, and then he says, okay, if you got there, say word. And everybody would say word. And I'm not like a guy that says, repeat after me, doing that stuff. But if you want to say word from now on, whenever guys are up here and they go, you know, hey, turn to this, everybody go, word, you know, that'd be cool. You know, it might fire them up. All right, verse 1, Luke chapter 5. Okay, a couple people catching on. We're going to get there. All right. 9 a.m., nobody caught it, but this would be cool for you guys. All right, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word. Now, I want to set you a little bit of context. Jesus in Luke 4 declares his public ministry by going to a synagogue, reading a text out of Isaiah. And he basically says, I'm come to, to preach the good news, to, to proclaim freedom uh, and, and, to, and, and healing and release, and then to tell everybody that God's favor is possible. It was an incredible moment, right? It's one of those moments you'd say, where were you? Were you if you're first century Palestine, you would have said, where were you when Jesus did this? Or where were you when Jesus came to your town? And he then, then repeated that throughout different towns and different synagogues, which is just a Jewish uh, sort of church building, right? And, they, and they, he would go throughout all these towns and, they, and he was doing that. Well, a crowd began to form. And so as the crowd was forming, it says that Jesus was standing by Lake Gennesaret. So it's another name for the Sea of Galilee. If you've been around church, it's okay. It's just a body of water in the Middle East. Okay, so he's there. And he's in the north part. He's in the, like the country, basically. He's in the part of town that, that uh, you know, is not where all the smart, rich, wealthy people would necessarily go. You might have been born there, but you're going to try to work your way out, okay? So, you know, it's not like downtown L.A. or Hollywood. It's like, um, I don't know, the high desert or something. I'm not sure, but... Um, some of you might be from there. I'm sorry if that's hurtful. All right. It says, he sees two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them uh, and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. Now, if we're, if we're looking at this from the lens of how Jesus did things, how Jesus made people different, this first thing is probably not a big surprise. He taught people. If you've been around church for a while, you know that churches are big on teaching people. That's what we're doing right now. And this is, and then you might go to a Bible study or some, some churches might still have Sunday school or something like that. And you want to go in and it's going to be about the Bible and we're going to learn. And sometimes we just open up to wherever we think is the right place to go. And we just go verse by verse. And we just, and we're, and this is the way we change people by, they're going to learn enough that they're going to become different. So Jesus is teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. 
Now, this normally would seem like a simple sort of request, especially since Peter is a fisherman. He has a fishing business, and he actually even had partners, James and John, uh, and their father, Zebedee, and they, and they were sort of all partnering together. And, but the fisherman's life was such that they would normally fish during the night. The reason is cooler temperatures, the fish were biting, so they would go out on the water at night, they would catch fish. As, as the morning came, they would bring their boats in, they would un, you know, empty out the fish, they would begin to clean and mend and prepare the nets for the next day. They would gather the fish, take it to market, they would sell the fish, and they would try to earn a living. And then at the end of the day, if they had a chance, they'd get a little bit of sleep, a couple hours of sleep, go back out at night and do it again. Jesus is not here at night, he's here during the day. So he tells them to launch their nets out. And one gospel says, cast your nets out. So this is kind of an odd request. Like if you're a fisherman, you're like, yeah, that's not a good plan, Jesus. And I know you're a preacher, but you're not a fisherman. <laughs> and so even Peter, he responds to Jesus by saying, or Simon Peter, he responds to Jesus by saying, master. Now even that word calling him master tells us something about the dynamic between Jesus and Peter. See, Jesus and Peter, this isn't the first time they're meeting. This isn't the first time that they're hanging out. So when, even when Jesus came and said, hey, let me get on your boat and I'm gonna go preach to everybody on the water because they're pressing in and I wanna get a little bit of distance and then maybe create an amphitheater kind of feel and I don't have a sound system, so let's go. And Peter's like, I don't know what a sound system is. But, and so then Jesus preaches to them. But now he's saying, I, I want you to fish again during the day. And he says, master, <laughs> And see, if you look in Luke 4, you'll see that Jesus even went to Peter's mother-in-law's house at one point, and mother-in-law was sick, and he healed her. So there's a relationship. There's a dynamic. There's something happening where Jesus has been in Peter's life. Other gospels talk about him coming along and saying, come follow me. Come and see. You know, these kinds of invitations that Jesus has been giving. And, and, and what's interesting is they didn't just start out being the 12 disciples, <laughs> They started out just going along with Jesus. And here's what's so key about this, is that in the Jewish culture, when you are a young person, when you'll go to school basically, but not like we go today. You didn't do science and math and PE and all that kind of stuff. You went to school till the age of 10, and basically all you did was learn the first five books of the Old Testament, like memorized them, like, like got them down to a T. And by 10 years old, they would take all of the top of the class and if you were part of the top of the class, then they would take you to another level of study until the age of 14. So you start out with the five books of the Old Testament, then you'd study what they call the Talmud, and you would do that till 14. And then from, if you made it to the top of that class, from 14 till age 30, really, 14 years, so almost 30, a rabbi might invite you, and then they're gonna, study, they're gonna help you study the Midrash, and you're gonna try to figure out what, what the law was all about and all the extra laws on top of it. You became, and listen, this is the thing. That was the dream of every Jewish family for their sons. Now, the daughters, I'm sorry to say in first century Palestine, you just at 10 years old went back and started working in the family home. But if you're a guy and you didn't make the cut, if you didn't make the top of the class, you had to go and be a part of the family business, which was okay, but it wasn't as good as the ones who made the cut and kept going on and eventually became rabbis themselves. So here's the thing. If you have Peter... And he has a brother, Andrew. You're going to hear about him next week. And then, and then you've got James and John, and they're all out there working. And here comes Jesus. What that means is that those guys didn't make the cut. That means they spent their lives pretty much feeling like overlooked. 
They didn't go to college. They didn't get a master's degree. They didn't get a PhD. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just went back to the family business, and the family business was fishing. So if you want to know what you're going to do tomorrow for work, just look at yesterday because it's going to be the same thing. And every single day, they just repeated this rhythm over and over and over. And then here comes Jesus. By the way, Jesus starts his ministry around 30 years old, which is the time that most rabbis would begin to start their ministry because they've gone through all this training. And he goes not to the top of the class, but he goes to some fishermen. And he says, follow me. And here's what he says. I see something in you that no one else saw. You're not the top of the class. You didn't get all the awards. You don't have all the degrees. You don't have the background that you might have dreamed about. But I see something in you, and I want you to follow me. Now, I don't know if you can catch the weight of that, but that's a powerful invitation. See, sometimes we just read, and like, if some guy came and told me to follow him, I wouldn't follow him. I'd be like, you go ahead, and I'll, I'll catch up. But you have to understand the culture that we're jumping into. And, and Jesus, so now when he says master, he's basically already agreed to follow. And now, unlike a, a regular rabbi, who if you began to follow him, all you would do is study content, 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 knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Jesus says, I want to give you something that the others won't give you. Put your nets out for a catch. I want you to do something that the others wouldn't ask you to do. Put your net out for a catch. Master. And Peter, out of respect but pushing back, says, we've been out here all night. Now, Jesus wasn't dumb. He knew that that's what fishermen did. So he knew he was asking something that was, you know, out of left field. And Peter, he's like, we've been out here all night. We haven't caught anything. But then he says something that I don't know if you caught it, but you sang this earlier. You sang this in a song earlier, but do you live it in your life? Because Peter says this. He says, we've been out here and we've worked all night, caught nothing. But if you say so, it's powerful, then we'll do it. If you say so, we'll do it. And Luke tells us there was so much fish from the catch that they got in the middle of the day that it was starting to break their nets and they started to haul it in. And you know what Peter's reaction was? Get away from me, Jesus. He says in verse eight, go away from me because I am a sinful man. See, Jesus, or Peter, I should say, recognized, Simon Peter recognized in that moment, I've been overlooked my whole life, I didn't make the cut, I didn't, and now I'm in front of something that is supernatural, that is totally different, nothing I would have ever expected. There's no way in this world, Jesus, that I'm worthy of this. Please go away. Let me just, let me just keep being a fisherman. But Jesus is doing something I want you to catch. This is what's so important, because he's doing something I want you to catch is gonna change our lives if we get it. Jesus isn't coming to be like every other rabbi and just give you a head full of knowledge. He wants to go deeper. He wants to call you to something more. And then the way he's gonna interact with you, and if you don't catch this, then you'll miss it and you won't get that significance, you won't get that depth of relationship that Jesus wants, you won't get that depth of connection to God He's doing with Peter. Notice Jesus' instructions, encouragement in verse 10. Do not be afraid. 
Because you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have been afraid of what we might think possibly could be the potential that God may have given us. Maybe we're too afraid and we don't think we can do it and we're not sure that you listen, maybe you made a mistake. I know I go to church. Okay, really, me, me? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then he says, I want you to be able to do something that you could never imagine on your own. He says, from now on, you will be catching people. That was so stunning. Everybody's like looking at me like, okay. But you see, in the original language in the Greek, Jesus may have said this in Aramaic, but it was written in the Greek from Luke because he's writing to his Greek friend. And he uses three words that are very important. And if, you know, I'm not trying to give a Greek lesson, but if you, if you see the original language, you'll see where, where this hits and then, then we'll make the point and then we'll hope for everybody can you know, grasp this. The first word is I me, which in Greek means to be or more appropriately to become. The second word is zogresso. I didn't say it in, you know, in a Greek accent. In the first service, I said in Spanish, zogresso, you know, but that's not right either. But the word means to catch alive. And then anthropos, which means people. So here's what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you become someone who captivates people. This fisherman life that you thought you got stuck with, because you got cut and overlooked and no one else wanted you and you didn't make the grade, I'm going to do something in you that is so great that it's going to change other people's lives. It is going to be so significant that, and listen, could you imagine being Peter and not even being able to imagine that here we are 2,000 years later and we know Simon Peter's name? Because he knew Jesus. That is significance. See, we think in our country that significance comes from success, but that's not true. Having more of this or more of that, more friends, more money, more stuff, more degrees, more notoriety, more position, more power, that that's what life's about. It was the same thing in the first century of Palestine. And that all came from being picked by a rabbi. Today, it comes from going to a good college or getting a degree or hitting on a stock or whatever else. But Jesus says, it's not where greatness comes from. As a matter of fact, some of us have been so committed to this that we've started, started to merge our faith with our nationalism. What we think is that God, that, that, that he becomes a, a route for us to achieve the American dream. Like we come to church because we want our blessing. We, we, our blessing. <laughs> not God's blessing on us, but our blessing. And we define our blessing as stuff that America tells us is what we're supposed to be getting, what we're supposed to be about. And some people online might be watching all over the world. And they're like, I don't know about America, but over here, it might be the same. But the reality is, is that Jesus says, no, I'm calling you to something more. And so Peter now has the reaction, along with his friends, because this is the amazing thing, even his friends react. And it says, they brought the boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. And then they would go through a cycle that would happen throughout the rest of Jesus' life that basically is what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. And, and trust me, it's going to go quicker. I had to set the foundation so we can get to it. 
is that Jesus began to combine some of the other rabbis didn't do. He took knowledge, but he combined it with experience and with relationship. Now, this, why this is so important is because this is what unlocks life. This is what unlocks it. It's not just knowing stuff, and it's not just experiencing stuff, okay? Because that can happen too. It's actually combining it into relationships with other people. It's being willing to lock arms with other people and walk along with them as you learn more and as you experience more together. Now, you say, well, I don't know if that's really that really powerful, but if you think about it as comparison to the rest of the world, it's critical. Because for the rest of the world, everything is an exchange. It's a transaction. It's a, you do this and then I'll do that. You pay your bill, I'll let you keep your house, <laughs> right? You go to school, we'll give you a degree. You, you do this, I'll do that. That's a transaction. That's a, that's a relationship that's built on you do and I do. And sometimes we let that come into the church where in religion and every other religion is built on this. Every other religion is you do this, you'll get that. You do this, you'll get this over here. And if you stop doing it, then you're not going to get this. And we think that's how God works because sometimes we do that. Oh, man, I must have messed up because my life, it took a bad turn, so maybe I messed up. But that's not really how Jesus does life. I want you to read one more story, a story of Mary and Martha. You may be familiar with it, but in Luke chapter 10, it says that while Jesus and the team were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. Martha, though, was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken from her. Here's the point. Jesus comes into this home and he talks to Mary and Martha and, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus and saying, I want to pursue this relationship. We have Jesus in our house. I'm going to tell you what, Jesus in our house, I'm not worried about the dishes. I'm not worried about making, you know, what is it, bruschetta or bruschetta or whatever. You know, with some, I don't care. What, what I want to do is sit at the feet of Jesus. I want to listen to every word he says because Jesus is in our house. Martha, handcuffed by social expectations and norms, says, yes, but he's a guest and we have to take care of him. Was she wrong? No. Is it good to take care of your guests? Yes. Is it good to be hospitable? Yes. But when those tasks begin to get in the way of what's most important, Jesus says, Mary made the right choice. But he loved Martha enough that he told her about it. He wouldn't do what Martha wanted him to do because Martha came from a world of transaction. And what Martha said is, could you make Mary do what I need her to do? And Jesus said, no, because she's actually doing the right thing. What I need is for you to come over here and to be with us too. And here's the point. Jesus' model of ministry with Peter, with Andrew, with James, with John, also with Martha and, and Mary, and then they had a brother Lazarus, and, and, and all of them, everybody that Jesus came into contact who were his followers, Jesus' example of discipleship, of formation, of helping people become something that they could not be on their own was relational, not transactional. That's the secret sauce, guys. See, transactional is taking people and using them to get stuff done. You know? Now, I don't mean using them as, as in a manipulating thing. It could be. It happens when it's super toxic and unhealthy. It happens. But it could be as simple as, hey, I'll pay you $25. Come mow my lawn. 
And, and, and so somebody takes 25 bucks and mows your lawn. And what you do in transactional is you're like, can I get somebody to do it for 15? Or can I get somebody else who will take 25 and do a better job than the first guy? See, those are transactions. Those are saying, and, and what happens is in church, we do that. Take this class, take this seminar, go do that, put in this money, do that, and now you're good. There are whole systems of faith that are not Christian that are built on this. And there are whole movements within the Christian umbrella that do this as well. And what does it lead to? Empty, disappointing, disillusioned faith with no real connection to God. Because they don't understand this principle. Jesus wants to use relationship to grow us. And when you talk about relational ministry or relational discipleship, what you do is you use stuff, tasks, to develop people. So you don't use people to get stuff done. You use stuff to grow and build people up. That's what Jesus did. He used the disciples in their, their time together and said, hey, uh, we're going to feed 5,000 people. He sent them out and said, go knock on some doors and tell them I'm coming to town. He sent them out again in pairs and said, let's go do it again. He, they were involved in him, seeing him raise people from the dead, experiences that they had with him. They listened to him teach knowledge and learning. They watched him do ministry in their midst, also to them. And he knew them and he knew their stories and he knew their families and he built into them because he was relational, not transactional. So if we flip that for us, if we want a true, real connection with Jesus, if we want to be people who have an understanding of God, not just from our heads, but in our feet and our hands and our hearts and even in our families, then we must understand that the best way Jesus is going to do that is through a relationship with us and relationships that we have with each other which goes back to Jesus' prayer last week for the people who would come from the ministry of the disciples, who was us, that we would learn how to love one another the way that God and the Father and Jesus loved each other. And that we would experience God's love the way that the disciples experienced Jesus' love. How does that happen? It's not through checking a box, a list of things that we have to do, and that makes us right. It's through getting into a relationship and doing and sharing life with our Savior and with the people of our Savior. Why? So that we could reach all the other people who don't know our Savior. That's Jesus' model. And that, friends, is the decision that you have to make because to start to invest in other people and let other people invest in you is risky. Because most of us will say, um, listen, I'll show them the living room, but they ain't seeing my kitchen. I don't want them, maybe your analogy is, I, I'll sh- give them a drink of water, but they ain't going to get my Kool-Aid. I don't know what culture you come from, but whatever it is, that's what happens. We, don't, we, we love our secrets. We love our uh, autonomy. We love our isolation, all of those things. But it also keeps us in a place where we can't reach our potential for God. And here's the thing. God has chosen every single one of us. He did it when he died on a cross. He said, I choose to offer to the world an opportunity to be in a relationship with the Father. So it doesn't matter if you didn't make the cut. doesn't matter if you don't feel good enough about yourself. doesn't matter. All, Jesus says, I choose you. I see something in you that's different than maybe what you see in yourself. So the question becomes, how do we do this? What decisions do we have to make today to begin to shift toward a relational experience rather than a transactional one? Well, the first thing is you have to, like I said, agree to share your life. 
You gotta be somebody who says, I'm willing to share my life. How do we do that? Well, this is why we are who we are at Sunrise. We say we wanna be a church of small groups. What we hope in our small group, this is what we figured out. Remember I talked to you about those three approaches that we have that Jesus implemented. Knowledge, experience, relationships. Think of them like three circles, right? Some throw it up on the board, it's like three circles and each of them knowledge, experience, relationship, and they're all up there. And in some ways, they could be totally separate or they could begin to overlap, right? That's what you're gonna see in the image on the screen. It's gonna, it's gonna overlap. We have the chance with knowledge, connection, experience. Those could be together like it is on the board or they could be totally separate. Some of you might have very little knowledge and a lot of connection or very little connection, a lot of knowledge. A lot of us struggle with experiences because we don't really have experiences or stories we can tell about when God showed up and I don't know where he came from, I don't know what he was doing, but he did something great and we have it. And, and it's important first to start with getting those in balance. But if you really want to share life, you got to find that sweet spot where those three circles all overlap together. So it looks like this when we talk about those circles. That spot where knowledge, connection, and experience are happening in balance on a regular basis is what it means to share life. And the best place for that to happen is in an ongoing small group. It is. Because you can come here and get some knowledge. You may not get a lot of connection. Now, we're friendly, and, and I've heard lots of people talk about how friendly everything is, but you're probably going to get maybe some faces and names, but you're not going to know stories. You're not going to live life with each other. And, and you could be in a Bible study, and again, you can get a lot of knowledge, but you may or may not, depending on the Bible study and how it's structured, get a lot of interaction and connection, and you may not ever leave and do anything else outside of that Bible study or even outside of this worship service. But you get into an ongoing small group that we call life groups, and we start them all with rooted. That's why we push rooted so hard, because you learn seven rhythms that help you. They're habits. They're things that you can do that will help you begin to do life with other people. And do you know four out of five of our rooted groups, I did that backwards, four out of five of our rooted groups become ongoing life groups because they share things like daily Bible reading and prayer. They do a prayer experience together. They pray for an hour and a half. Those, who's been a rooted? Round of applause. Yeah. How many, how many, online, sorry, do some hands or, you know, how many of you heard about that prayer experience you were a little intimidated? Raise your hand. How many of you were glad you did it once it was over? Yeah. How many of you keep doing it? Great. How many of you are in a group and you stop doing it? <laughs> don't ask, don't do that because you write each other out and you're like, wait, wait. The point is, is that these rhythms, you know, sharing your strongholds, uh, uh, celebrating, uh, doing worship together, um, being generous, learning about sacrificial generosity, all of these things are rhythms that we learn that are rhythms that Jesus wants us to have as, as his disciples, as his followers. And the best way to do it is with other people locking together, and that's what it means to share life, to do life with each other. That's why we call them life groups. So we get rooted, then we go into a life group, and then we share life together by repeating these rhythms together, by repeating them in our own lives and then together. That's why it's so important. So if you haven't signed up for Rudy, you better get signed up. You do it today in the lobby. You do it online. You could just show up, promise you. They're like, wait, you didn't sign up. Well, Pastor John said I can show up. Okay, great. They'll come get mad at me, but they'll let you in. Because we want everybody to have an opportunity to be in a group together. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own lives. We don't want to just be transactional and just go, well, you said a prayer, you're good, see a kid. We want to do life with each other. Here's the second thing, share your life, share your gift. 
When Jesus called his 12 and finally appointed his 12 guys as the disciples that he called apostles, every one of them had different experiences, a different background. One of them was a political zealot. Somebody else was a tax collector. They were fishermen like we already read about. There were others. They all had experiences. They all had different stuff that they had come from. Uh, and, and all of them had giftings that Jesus said we can use. And most of them had stuff that nobody else wanted. Jesus takes the stuff that nobody else wants <laughs> and he changes the world with it. Because then he throws in the extra bonus, wait, there's more, of the Holy Spirit and a gift you get from him that you couldn't get from anywhere else and you couldn't do without him and then he begins to do amazing things but you have to be willing to share it. Say, so what's my gift? Your gift is your resources, your gift is your, your, all the experiences you've had, your gift is your training and your learning, your gift is what the Holy Spirit has given you once you come to know Christ and you say, I don't know if I know what that is. Well, here's how you learn to share your gift. Join a team. Get into a ministry. Which one, pastor? Whichever one looks cool to you right now. But do I have to take like a spiritual gifts test or something? You could, but you know what the best spiritual gifts test is? Join a team. <laughs> I had a friend, I said, what, what, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? He said, just start serving God. And guess what? Everybody else will tell you. But what about a test? Nah, everybody else will tell you once you start doing it. Have you ever been there where you start to join a team, you get into ministry, and everybody's like, you should do this. You're really good at, you know. And that's God telling you, oh, that's your gift because that's how God works, again, together. And I'd rather trust people I'm working with than some online test. You, you pick for you what you wanna do. But, but I'm saying, join a team. How can you do that? Go to our website, go to the Next Steps table, sign up, say, I wanna be on a ministry. I don't know which one, there's a box that says, I don't know which one. We'll come alongside you, we'll help you, we'll get you started. You wanna join a group? Just grab some friends and say, we're starting a group and come see us and then we'll help you start a group. We'll get you all the training, all the equipping, everything that you need. We'll get you all the training and all the equipping to join a ministry. We're not gonna just leave you out there, we're gonna walk alongside, but you have to say, I will take a step out and I will do it. And here's the thing, some of you are like, but nobody's asked. Okay, I'm asking you right now. God told me, go ask them. Did he say to ask me? Yes. But you're looking at the other side of the room. Okay, you too. The reality is Jesus asked as soon as he called us and said, follow me. Does it matter that I ask or somebody else or is it more important that your savior said, I want you? And here's number three, share your story. You gotta be somebody who goes to your circle of influence with your story. Do you know one of the disciples, Matthew, who was first called Levi, and in Luke it reads a story about he comes to Christ, and then you know what he does as he begins to follow Jesus? He calls all of his tax collector friends, because he was a tax collector, so he's a super popular guy. Like, he only knew other tax collectors. And so, but he knew a lot of them, so he, he threw a banquet, he throws a banquet, and all kinds of tax collectors show up, and Jesus. Yeah, but I don't know if my friends are really the right kind of people for church. Yes, they are. The real question is, is Jesus the right kind of person for your friends? Don't say no for somebody, don't answer for somebody, don't assume for somebody. Throw a party. Make some wings, watch a football game. The Rams are gonna lose anyway, so now you got time. Now you got time to talk with the person, right? We're down 30, can I tell you something? You're falling apart, you're crying here, Cooper Cup's injured. Okay, let me, let me just explain to you someone who never gets hurt. Someone that was so down, but he came back from the dead. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> share your life. Share your gifts. Share your story. The question is, 
Have you accepted the call of Jesus to become his follower? Because that's really the first place to start. Jesus is saying, follow me to each of us. Have we answered that call? If you've never done that, we want to give you a chance. We actually do it every single week. Some of you come every week and like, why do they do this every week? Because we don't know when it's someone's first time. And we don't know when a message or something they hear is going to connect and hit. And we want everyone. And listen, you may have been around church for years, but you may have just realized today in horror that I don't know if I have really a relationship with Jesus. I've just been doing church, but I don't know if I know Jesus. I've just been religious, but I don't know if I'm in a relationship. Or maybe you know you have no relationship with Jesus. I want to offer you this opportunity today. Because he died on a cross. Listen, he died on a cross, shed his blood to pay a debt that you owed, that I owed. He paid it for us so that we could come to God through him. So that we could, that God could forgive us of our sins. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus paid a price. And said, I I paid the penalty for them. And so when they're now my friends, and so God says, I'll forgive them. Based on Jesus' work. And when he resurrected and came back from the dead, he told everybody, I've got power over sin and death. Because at first they're like, well, yeah, okay, you say that, but now you're dead. Oh, wait, three days later, I'm still alive. Because I have power over that. Are you willing to give your life to Christ? Maybe the first place to share your life is with your creator. If you are, I want to invite you all to bow your heads and I want to just read a a prayer for you. And this prayer is not meant to be, uh, you know, a ritual. It's not meant to be something that's a religious requirement. This is something to give you an idea of something you could say in your heart. And if it's authentic in your heart, you can begin a relationship with Jesus, not just today, but right now. I want you to pray this way. If you've never received Jesus, say, Jesus, today, I want to be sure that I'm in a relationship with you. I want to choose the one thing that is necessary. I want to go deeper. I admit I'm a sinner. I place my faith in you because I believe you died on a cross for me. Please forgive me of my sin. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Now, with your head still bowed, I just want to ask because I want to pray for you. If you've never prayed that prayer and today was the first time you prayed or maybe it's the first time you prayed and really meant it, would you put your hand up just so that I can pray for you? I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. I see you in the back. If you're online, there's some prompts that you can follow to let us know. Thank you. I see you in the back. Anybody else? See you over here on this side. Great. Anybody else? I see some hands in the middle. Thank you. In this side? Yes? Okay. Excellent. Listen, maybe you're shy and you you weren't able to put your hand up. That's okay. If you prayed that prayer, and even if you put your hand up, and now you can go ahead and raise your your head, your eyes. You got a program on the way in. At the bottom of that is a piece of paper that's perforated, and it gives you a chance to put your name and contact and check a box that says, I said yes. If you check that box, put into the offering that we're going to take in just a few short minutes, you will have somebody from our team reach out to you to come alongside. Why? Because we want to share life. Because we want to do life together. Because we don't want to leave you at a point of just an experience with God. We want to help you with knowing more about God, knowing God more. We want to help you with more experiences. We want to help you build a community of people and a faith so that you don't have to do life by yourself. You can also text the word next to the phone number that's on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a pen or don't, don't have that form, you can text the word next, 909-281-7797. You can go see our Next Steps table that is out in the lobby. Here's the thing. As we close this service, and I say that, I mean close the message, we're not closing the service. So many of you want to run out. Can I tell you that when we run out after the message is over, we're being transactional? I checked the box, got through service, now I'm heading home. And I believe our Savior is worth the extra time because here's the thing. 
Jesus wants to still do something in the rest of the service. There's an opportunity for us to give out of our resources and share with God what he's already given us through our offering. There's an opportunity for you to respond to this message as we will have prayer partners up front in just a moment. There's an opportunity for us to sit and just reflect as we sing and worship God with, with this song going deep. I hope that you would choose today to say, I don't want a superficial relationship. I want to know more. I want to live more. I want to be more. Because for each one of us, Jesus has said, listen, if you follow me, I will make you become something that you could not be on your own. Someone who is captivating to people who are alive so that you could bring life that is really life to people. Because of your story, because of what I'm doing in your life, you will be able to captivate them. And I want to use your story. So would you hang around just a few extra minutes? I'm going to close in prayer, but it's not closing the service. We're going to take our offering. We're going to sing a song. We're going to have some prayer partners. And let's do a little bit of time with God as we respond to what maybe hopefully he's done in each of our hearts and minds throughout our time so far. Let me pray with you and for you, and then we'll take our offering. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the opportunity to know you, God. You, you, um, <laughs> you have told us from the beginning that you love us, God. Even before the foundation of the world, you chose us. And Jesus comes and he offers to each of us the chance. I pray that we would seize that opportunity today, God. I pray that we would be people who would take very seriously our relationship with you, our relationship with one another, that we would make the choice to become the people that you want us to be. Lord, as we finish this service, may we give with joy and excitement out of the resources that you abundantly give to us. May we trust you with that. May we sing, Lord, and reflect throughout this song about going deeper with you, to, to enhance our relationship with you. May we respond, if need be, through praying with someone, locking arms together and praying together over the things that we're struggling with in life or maybe someone we know or maybe it's just praying with some, for someone with another person. God, may you be pleased. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people will gather in arenas all over our country and, and, and throughout the world in arenas with different sports and we will shout till we lose our voice. Can we just give you the next five or 10 minutes and then lunch can wait, our families can wait, the football can wait. Let us just crawl in like Mary, puts into your lap or at your feet, and let's just spend some time with you. We ask it in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.